Well, I'm glad to be with you again, and this is our Sunday School lesson for Graceway Baptist Church. We're going to present this on January the 10th of 2021. It's going to be uh, strange to get used to saying that and writing that. Back in the days when we wrote a lot of checks, do you remember how, those of you who are older, you remember how long it took you to get a new year down to write it on the check? And uh, a little easier now uh, the way we do things, but uh, still, got to get it in your mind. It's a, it's a new year. Things have changed. And as things change, um, we can go back and it's kind of interesting how uh, looking back, we look at different styles and we can look and say, uh, oh, that's a hairstyle from the 70s or the 80s or the 90s. And those kind of things change. Now, they seemed really cool and um, maybe you had a a hairstyle or a clothing style or something like that back in the day that you could never, ever foresee changing. Why would I want to change it? It's cool. It's hip. It's up to date. It's whatever groovy, whatever word you may have used. And uh, now you look back and you go, good night. What was I thinking? Oh, that's hideous. I'm glad that that changed. And all of these things will change. You'll also notice that throughout the decades, uh, political ideas will change. The 80s with the election of Ronald Reagan was certainly a, a different era than uh, maybe we think about the 90s or uh, even recent events. When we think about uh, the way churches functioned and the way people would worship and the songs as they would sing and the styles and all of that. I mean... Um, I think about when I started in the ministry in 1980, the idea of a pastor, for example, standing in front of a congregation wearing jeans and a t-shirt is like, oh, that'll never, ever happen. Uh, things change, don't they? And one of the things we're going to talk about today as we talk about uh, the next question in the New City Catechism is uh, God. And when we start thinking about God, this is something that we, uh, we better get right. This is not a uh, horseshoes, hand grenades, or atom bombs where you just kind of get close and uh, maybe you'll be okay. This is one you've got to get right. Now, how in the world are sinners like us ever going to get this right? And, well, in fact, doesn't it sound maybe even... If you think about it through worldly uh, ears, a tad arrogant to say we got it right and everyone else is wrong. And yet that's what the call is. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and I emphasize that, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Boy, how arrogant to say something like that, right? And yet that's what the Bible calls us. To believe. And the thing that we have to understand is that God is not something that we invented. God is not uh, something that we decided by a committee or some type of a group. This is what God is. And then we went so far as to say, and if you don't agree with us, then you're condemned or whatever. Uh, this is the God who has always existed. And the God who created us and created everything, Scripture is clear, without His creation, nothing exists, right? Read in John 1. And then the Scripture tells us 
that it was this God who created us, who became flesh, dwelt among us, and uh, we beheld his glory. We didn't find him, he came to us. We didn't make him up, he made us. We are the ones that he has revealed himself to. And so we need to worship God as he has revealed himself, not the God that we want. Now, it's kind of a uh, somewhat funny statement that someone made. In the beginning, God created man in his own image. And ever since, man has been returning the favor. Isn't that true? We try to make God to be like us. We try to make God to be the way we are. And all you have to do is look at some of the gods of other religions. Did you ever study Greek mythology? Man, those gods and goddesses were more messed up than I am. I mean, they made more mistakes, got involved in more immorality and more scandal and things like that than I could even think of. I mean, that's not really any help or solution. And what was that? Greek mythology, just to use that as an example, was man's attempt to recreate God in man's image. Well, we've got to go the opposite on everything that we're doing. And we look at the God of the Bible, the God who created everything and who reveals himself to us. So we ask the question, uh, the second question in the catechism is, what is God? And boy, the answer is a long one. Hope you're ready for it. But it's well worth your time. God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. He is eternal, infinite, and unchangeable in his power and perfection, goodness and glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. Okay, you got that memorized, right? We have a test on that and you, you'll get it all right. Now, the one thing that I know about you is that you believe that already. You may have had trouble articulating it like that. Sometimes if someone asks us, what is God? Give us a little time. Give us uh, the ability to put our thoughts together and uh, maybe dialogue with somebody or maybe open up our favorite study Bible or a theology book and then we go, oh yeah, and we remember some of those things to put down. It's kind of nice someone put down that definition for us. Now if we could only remember all of that, certainly, again, we agree with it, but remembering it, it's something that we ought to go over again and again and again. This is what we ought to sing about. This is what we ought to study. This is uh, something that ought to affect the way that we pray, the way that we look at life, the way that we look at our enemies, the way that we look at everything ought to be through the revelation of who God is and what he is like. This is an amazing, amazing being when you look back over that uh, particular definition. What is God? Okay, think about what we saw in here. He is the creator and the sustainer of everything. The Bible says, by him all things hold together. Of everything, of everyone and everything, he is eternal, 
So he doesn't have a beginning or an ending. He is also infinite. You can't diminish him. You can't um, add to him. He doesn't have good days and bad days, strong days and weak days, anything like that. He's an infinite God. He never, never loses any of his power. And he's unchangeable. Listen to this. In his power, in his perfection, goodness, glory, wisdom, justice, and truth. Boy, those are seven things that you ought to think about. He never changes. And it's not because he is just a stubborn old you know, man in the sky who just refuses to change. You know, kind of like grandpa not wanting to update the style of what he's wearing. It's not like that at all. This is a God who doesn't change because, listen to this, and let this sink in. There's no need to change. In fact, if you were to try to change God, what would that do to him? It would make him less than what he is right now because he is ultimate perfection in everything. And so to change him would be to diminish him. There's no need for change. He is the ultimate. He's the maximum. And think about the way that he acts. Is he a, a passive God who's in the sky? The old uh, deist kind of had the idea that God wound the clock and then just sat back and let it run. Well, listen to this. Nothing happens except through him and by his will. We had... Uh, elections, the runoff elections last night in Georgia. What are we supposed to think about that as Christians? What are we supposed to think about the presidential elections in November? What are we supposed to think about those things? What are we supposed to think about COVID-19? What are we supposed to think about um, the way society is going and all of that? Well, you've got basically two choices. It's either a random thing that is just happening and God is desperately trying to fix it and stop the ball from rolling downhill or something like that. Or you've got a God who is controlling all of this and it's all working according to his plan. Now, we may not understand the plan, but there is a plan. And we understand where it is going. It is headed toward the end of time. It is heading toward all of those wonderful promises and prophecies that deal with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so on one hand, we get excited when we talk about Jesus coming again and Jesus taking us to be where he is. And we talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb and we talk about the uh, the worship in heaven and streets of gold and all of that, we get pretty excited. And then something happens in society that is prophesied, telling us that's where we're headed. In the latter days, perilous times shall come. And when they do, we tend to panic. We, we've got to quit that. This is the God who is in control of all of this. Do we understand it? No. But must we accept it? Yes. That's the only way you're really going to have any peace or stability in your life. So let's go to the scripture. In um, Psalm 86, we'll look at verses 8 through 10 and then verse 15. And uh, we sing a song in church every once in a while based on this. There is none like you among the gods, little g, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. 
all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things, and you alone are God. But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Boy, that's good, isn't it? That's the God that we serve. And the psalmist invites us to look and to say, as you uh, look at all of the so-called gods all around the world, in every culture, in every time, where are you going to find anyone that is like the God that we serve? And I want you to think about that. All of the other gods, as we said earlier, are man-made, conjured up in the mind of man, and, and, and I'm sure helped by demonic forces. And they are put together in such a way that um, uh, it's strange, it's weird, um, it's incomprehensible sometimes. We look at some of these things. How could anybody do that? How could anybody bow down before that? How could anyone be like that? Well, it would be you and me if it were not for the grace of God. He revealed himself to us. But when you look around at the other gods, what do you find? Created beings carved out of stone or wood or something like that. You find them created in, conjured up in the mind of man. And so maybe there's not an idol per se about them, but it is an idol actually, just a mental idol or a spiritual idol because it's made by man. It's a false god. And none of them compare to our God. You see, you can take all of the religions of the world and they're divided into two categories, works and law or grace. You either got people trying to be better and trying to do the best they can and hoping that they can somehow make it, or you've got the God of the Bible who comes to us and says, I will redeem you with my own blood, with my own sacrifice, and if you will trust me by grace through faith, I will cleanse you of your sins and take you to heaven, either works or grace. So the psalmist is saying, can you find anything like that? And look how full of mercy our God is. He's not a God who just on a whim throws a lightning bolt down and destroys people. He's not a God that just uh, because he feels like it wipes out a million people or anything like that. Everything God does is with a purpose. And he is a God who is slow to anger. He's a God who is merciful in everything that he does. And, and notice here it says he abounds with steadfast love, abounds with steadfast love and faithfulness. So let's look at the points. Number one, our God is superior. Let's not be ashamed of that. Let's not be afraid of that. Let's not let political correctness, let's not let multiculturalism, let's not let any of that take us away from the fact that our God is superior and we make no uh, apology for that. There's one way to salvation, that's through Jesus. There's only one true and living God. There's only um, uh, one who rules and reigns over the universe. Our God is superior. 
And on Sunday mornings and at other times, when we say Jesus is Lord, that is really exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, but it is also a put-down to every false god. And the gods of the nations are idols. And what energizes them? Why do people in India think that it actually helps them to bow down before God? Well, they see an evidence of some type of power. They prayed. Their uh, aunt was sick. They prayed before the rat god, and she got well. Oh, it must be something true. And so they see some form of power. What is the power behind idols? What is the power that people find behind, oh, astrology, tarot cards, uh, Ouija boards, those type of things? What is that? It's demonic, folks. And every once in a while, there's just enough. It's never consistent, but just enough. And it fools people into thinking, oh, this must be the real thing. Well, whenever we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying all of that is nothing but foolishness and that we are standing with uh, the one true God who is superior and he's superior to anything or anyone in the world. Kings, queens, presidents, whoever it may be, people that claim to be God, so-called gods and goddesses, our God rules and reigns over them and our God is is superior. He's superior to the imaginary quote-unquote gods of the world and to their imaginary deeds. Our God is a God of truth. Secondly, notice that our God is sovereign. The word sovereign, what does that mean? means he rules. means that he's the king. Uh, When you look especially at some of the um, older writings and references like to the king of England, He was our dread sovereign King James or something like that. Sovereign means king. And our God is the sovereign when he is the king. And notice here it talks about in what we read in the Psalms about the nations. And understand this. Nations exist because of him. There's not a nation that has ever existed or will ever exist or does exist that exist outside of him or without his permission. The nations rise and they fall under his control. Listen to Job 12, 23. He makes the nations great, then destroys them. That might be a word for us, huh? He enlarges the nations and then leads them away. Why do nations and empires come on the world stage and then leave? You know, when you read in the Old Testament, when God told um, the prophets that the uh, Chaldeans were going to come and conquer Judah, that was laughable because at that time, the Chaldeans were nothing. They were just nomadic tribes. They had no power and no real organization, but it did happen under Nebuchadnezzar, didn't it? Because God built them up. Now, do you see that empire today? No, because God also ushered it out in his timing. That's what Job is saying. He brings them on the stage, and uh, sometimes it's incomprehensible. And then he ushers them off of the stage, leads them away. And um, the nations uh, have a destiny. 
in everything that they do. They rise and they fall and they serve a particular purpose while they are allowed to do that. Some noble purposes. Sometimes they fight wars and defeat evil. Sometimes they are like Nazi Germany for um, sinister purposes. But they all have a purpose. And um, Nazi Germany was one of the things that God used to get Jews to flee from Europe and to go to the um, land where they are now. And uh, that probably doesn't happen without the persecution. Why would they go to the desert of Israel, leaving the opulence of Europe? Well, when things get bad enough, they will. God uses everything for his plan and his prophecy. And uh, the psalmist says that the nations that God made, they're going to gather. And one of these days they're going to worship and they're going to glorify his name. I believe that is a reference to the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 and 7 says, For unto us a child is born and to us a son is given. Now listen to this. Because we always do this with Christmas. And that's good. But notice here this one thing we miss. The government shall be on his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. There's coming a day when this one who is the baby that we talk about in there is going to return and rule and reign on this earth as the king. And he is going to actually govern and what a glorious day that's going to be. Number three, our God not only is sovereign, but our God is singular. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, this is, um, you know, they used to say with Baptists, the verse that we had was John three sixteen. Every little kid, you know, knows that, and uh, every Baptist knows that verse. Well, Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4, and 5, every Jew knows this verse. It's called the Shema. And it says, Hear, O Israel, <clears throat> the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. See, the idea of monotheism, mono meaning one, theism meaning God, monotheism was brought into the world uh, through the Jewish religion. If you look at all the other cultures, uh, it was rare. If you ever found monotheism, they would believe in a multi multitude of gods and goddesses and you know, powerful gods and junior gods and up-and-coming gods and all those kind of things. And uh, then came these people who said, no, there's only one God, only one true and living God, and that's the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And uh, there are no other gods from which to choose. It's not like you look around the world and you look at all of the nations and all of the cultures and you say, I don't really like the God of the culture I was born into, so I'll become something else and uh, you know, pick their God. There is no other God. You either serve the true and the living God or you reject him. You're either right with him or you're not. You're either his child or you're not. You're either, as we say, saved or you were lost. There's no you know, um, other God. There's no other way. It's not a vending machine 
where you pick out something that you like better. And so uh, we've got to know this God as he has revealed himself, not what we perceive or conceive. And it's not an, a matter of what we want or how we want to form him. He doesn't change, as we said earlier. He is God. And our only worthy response is simply to know him and to love him. He's a singular God. There are no other gods. When he says in the commandments, you shall have no other gods before me, that doesn't mean God is number one and Buddha is number two and Krishna is number three or anything like that. When he says no other gods before me, he means no other gods in my presence, no other gods at all. And he calls for his people to worship him and to love him supremely. The old hymn says, let us love our God supremely and let us love each other too. And that's really the way it's supposed to be. And number four, as we finish this up, our God is steadfast. He's a faithful, unchanging God. Malachi chapter 3 verse 6 says, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. You know, the fact that God doesn't change, God is saying, that's why you're not consumed. I don't change my mind about my promises. I don't change my mind about election. I don't change my mind about the uh, covenant that I've made with you, Israel. Because if I did, if I were like you, if I were acting on a whim, if I were just acting on the way that maybe things were working today, you'd be dead and there would be no covenant but God is a faithful God. And that's why you, as a Christian, you've got to understand that when God saved you, he saves you for time and eternity. And there are those times when you don't look much like a Christian. You don't feel much like a Christian. And you don't act like a Christian. And yet God, the unchanging, what is not like you. There are times when you love God more than you do at other times. There are times when you are seeking after God and in pursuit of God more diligently than you are at other times. Talking to Christians. <clears throat> Aren't you glad God is not like that with you? Aren't you glad that God never regrets saving you? Aren't you glad that God never changes in his love toward you? Aren't you glad that God never changes in the sacrifice, the payment for sin? You see, it's because he doesn't change and you can count on him that uh, you're not consumed, that you don't die and go to hell. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued my faithfulness to you. Loved you with an everlasting love. And because I love you with an unending love, my faithfulness continues on to you. That's a beautiful and a wonderful thing to think about. Where do you find that among the gods of the nations, the false gods, the fake gods? Where do you find that? You don't find anything like that. This is the true and the living God. Unchanging in his covenant unchanging in his love for his people and unwavering 
in his promises. So as you think about the God that you serve, why is it that the Bible says rejoice always? Well, you can't rejoice in circumstances. Some circumstances aren't worthy of rejoicing. It'd be inappropriate to go up to someone who just had a loved one die of COVID-19 and then just start celebrating and hooping and hollering and all of that, that even Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Let's not be inappropriate. Let's not be silly about any of this kind of stuff. There are some things that we look at and um, we see that it's just immoral and it is an offense to God going on like that, but we don't rejoice in those things. And that's why the Bible clarifies it for us. Rejoice in the Lord always. You can always find a reason to rejoice in the Lord. The world may be caving in around you that may be getting dark. There may be a tsunami of evil. There may be persecution, heartache, grief, all kinds of things coming. And yet, like Paul and Silas, you can sing to God at midnight in the midst of the prison. Why? Because of who he is. And so when we think about this God and we attempt to answer the question, what is God? Let's remember him like we have talked about today. And so uh, as you think about uh, this 86th Psalm and you think about our God and you think about who he is, worship him, love him, cling to him, run to him, testify of him, talk to him and live for him in everything that you do because our God is the true God and he alone is worthy. God bless you and thank you for taking the time to listen to this, to watch this as the case may be. And may the Lord bless you and your class and our church for his glory and his glory alone. Thank you.